Welcome to York Central. Children are playing on the streets. You can hear birdsong. It is vibrant and peaceful. Many different ways of life coexist. It is a community made through exchange. York Central works with the failures in York's unequal economy to circulate community wealth and make housing forever affordable. It offers a new social, social contract for tourism in York, using co-owned accommodation and attractions to reinvest profits for community benefit. It makes all of this possible through dynamic and powerful connectedness, where activities are organised to be mutually supporting in order to create thriving and happy neighbourhoods. Welcome to the Conversations in Social Justice podcast. My name is Tom Ratcliffe and I'm a lecturer in the Business School at York St John. And on today's podcast, we're talking to Dr. Helen Graham and Phil Bixby from York Central Co-Owned, known as Yoko, about the vision for York Central. York Central is one of the largest developments on a brownfield site in the UK. Located near to the city's railway station, this 45 hectare mixed-use site will change the city of York. Yoko is the organisation behind a democratically created community plan for York Central, with an emphasis on tackling York's housing inequalities. Welcome to the podcast, Helen and hey, Phil. Hi, Tom. Hi. Thanks for having us. <laughs> and yeah, and thanks so much for, for coming along today. Um, and just a bit of background to yourselves. Um, Helen works at the University of Leeds and, and Phil is, is an architect. Um, so I started with the opening visionary paragraph from the Yoko Community Plan for, for York Central. And my first question today is quite a big one. <laughs> How are you going to go about achieving this? Well, I guess just to take a few steps back, uh, Phil and I were involved in facilitating My York Central, which was the public engagement process in 2018 commissioned by York Central Partnerships. That's Homes England, Network Rail, City of York Council and National Railway Museum. And through around 40 events over a month, hosted at the National Railway Museum, um, out of all of those conversations, we generated eight big ideas and a vision for York Central. Um, as we often say, not every element of that public vision made its way into the outline planning consent um, that was passed through the following year. And um, we always kind of had this question, do we just like leave it on the shelf and just say, well, we've tried and uh, that's that and go away? Or, which is what we chose to do, do we make connections with many people we met along the way and think about how we can steward that public vision into reality on the ground? And Yoko came out of that. Okay. So, Yoko, what we did with um, the, the ideas, I mean, much of this coincided with the pandemic, so I spent a couple of years really just trying to make sure that the big ideas that we were talking about to do with um, how cities do uh, do good stuff, how they connect with their communities and allow their communities to have that kind of uh, leverage and, and to do good stuff. And towards the end of that, we started trying to ask the question, how do we take the, the public vision and the big ideas, a kind of set of stuff which is about what people would like to see, and start to see how we make it happen? What's the process? So it's effectively turning the public vision and the um, eight big ideas into a plan for, for York Central. And so we spent about three months uh, at the back end of 2020 um, having work, doing workshops with a variety of people, kind of asking, you know, if you want the good stuff that came out of it. I mean, that, that, that opening paragraph you used there, it's kind of this vision of this kind of idyllic, idyllic place where you fling open your bedroom window and there's birdsong out there, there are children playing happily in the street. And we started to ask the question, what does it take in order to make that? Because it's not straightforward. You know, otherwise we'd all be living in places like that. 
And we, we started to kind of drill down through the layers um, of, of structure which create the places that we live in and realised that one of the key elements of that was economy. It's how do you create an economy for a place which enables that good stuff to happen? So, for example, you know, if you want kids playing in the street, first of all, you get rid of the cars in the street, but you, that's not straightforward in itself. You know, how do you deal with centralised parking arrangements which, which enable everybody to sign up to that? And if you then end up with empty, empty streets, is that necessarily a kind of place where you want the kids to be able to go and play? And if there's nobody out there and it's just a, a deserted neighbourhood? So how do you start to create um, a mixed-use neighbourhood where there is activity at street level, where people are walking and cycling between places, where people feel they have have some kind of co-ownership of the streets and spaces and places there where they do things like growing food in the in in, in the neighborhoods where um you know, businesses can spill out and make use of outdoor space so what came out of that was this community plan which looked at the economic uh, structures you needed and looked at the governance structures you needed and started to put together a framework just the beginnings of it because it's complicated stuff to say this is what we need to do there and to return to your question about how we're going to make it happen, one of the elements in the outline planning consent for York Central is 5% for custom and self-build and community-led housing. So what we're proposing to do is work with that affordance within the outline planning consent to propose uh, a mixed-use neighbourhood of around 120 homes and commercial space in order to enable the economic structure Phil's just been talking about. Mm. And you you talked about some of the consultation you work you you did al- along the way. What sort of innovative methodologies did you use to to kind of speak to and connect with a wide range of perhaps York and and the wider kind of regional audiences who might be using uh, York Central. So to go back to my York Central, that was run as a kind of festival of York Central. It coincided with an exhibition that York Central Partnership had organised, which set out the emerging master plan as it was at that time. And alongside that, we ran around 40 events during that month-long period. They were themed to explore key issues that were there within the master plan, from homes, movement, work, and then also um, you know leisure and what people might want to do there from a social perspective. And many of the events were co-produced with community groups within the city who've got a strong stake in those issues. So, for example, when we looked at bike paths, we co-organised a bike ride with York York Cycling Campaign in order to really experience and, I guess, live some of the challenges that are there within bike paths within the city, but also to then imagine what a really fantastic sort of cycling route and cycle infrastructure might be like. And equally, we worked because it was the Railway Museum and it was Easter, lots of families there. So we developed a series of family workshops where parents and children could collaboratively work together to explore some of the main issues about this new part of York, you know, from what a home might be like to what a fantastic route to school might be like. So we tried to find ways in into the conversation that would work for a wide variety of different people and really recognise the expertise of lived experience and knowledge there is within the city to inform those conversations. Were there audiences which you found difficult to to, in, to engage with within, within that process, and which particular ones were they? So I think we always know that not everyone wants to come to a public event. <laughs> Only a certain echelon of, you know, York society <laughs> want to spend their evenings and weekends engaged in, you know, conversation about the future of the city, if it's framed in that way. But one of the key things we've always tried to do is find multiple ways of thinking about what that way in, whether it's photography walks or things that people care about 
anyway in terms of their own passions and interests. Heritage works very well in that regard as well because people know a lot about the places they care about and want to connect. But we've also always said that while we organise events and bring people together, we also always need to go where people are on their own terms and open up conversations in ways that are meaningful to them. So we've always taken that multiplicity of approaches to having the public conversation. There's also a kind of step back to some of the earlier work that we did, which is about how you shift beyond conventional consultation. I'm doing the little air things there at the start and end of consultation, um, which is how you engage people in a creative process. If you simply go to people with um, a pre-cooked idea and ask for their views on it, all people can really do is agree or disagree. Um, if you start the process early enough, people can engage in a creative way. It becomes fun. It becomes something that's actually good to be involved with, not simply because you feel that what you're doing may make a difference, but because the whole process of create is a creative one and one that's fun to be involved with. So when we started developing our ideas some years previously, we started looking at how you can do that thing which they tell you you can't do, which is go out with a blank sheet of paper. If you go out with a blank sheet of paper and the right questions, then you can engage people in really fundamental uh, issues around you know, what's important to you about the place, what do you want to be able to do here, what does it mean? And if you do that, then it's much easier to, to, to involve people and generally engage people. So it shifts from being consultation where you're asking people questions and it becomes engagement where you're in, inviting people to be part of the process. It's about asking the right question at the right time at the right scale. Too often consultation, again I'm using the air quotes that Phil's introduced into the podcast, um, is often asking about really specific things quite late on within a process. Mm. Where a democratic approach is to really think about public agenda setting and that's really the approach we use in my own sense. And I think this is really interesting for our members of staff who are active researchers and our, and our students who are perhaps even doing dissertations or, or PhDs and might do, be doing projects, projects locally to hear about these, these different types of, types of methods you guys are, are implementing. Um, I just wanted to move on to um, a next kind of theme for our conversation around community wealth and, and, and an ownership. And I know you touched on the kind of financial system the, and the economic system at the heart of the, the yoga community plan. But I was just wondering if you could talk a bit more about um, community wealth, wealth building. So you should note that the biggest issue that came out of my York Central was homes. It was housing speaking to the enormous housing inequality within the city. In fact, they had to keep adding extra boards into the exhibition so that people could add additional post-it notes. So many people wanted to comment on our systemic failure of housing within the city. So we knew that whatever we were looking at in terms of evolving My York Central's big ideas and vision into a community plan, we had to think quite carefully about the question of genuinely affordable homes and in particular, which was one of the big ideas of My York Central, homes for living and not for investment. So not for Airbnbs, not for, you know, buy-to-lets where the profit just gets extracted from the city. So at the heart of what we knew we had to address was that question of systemic inequality around homes within the city. But there's also alongside that recognition that the inequality we have in York is something which isn't going to go away immediately, however much we try and address it, and that we therefore needed to try and think of creative ways of working with it. Um, we have a very different kind of housing market here to, you know, Barnsley or somewhere like that. It's, you know, it's not wall-to-wall poverty across the city. It's inequality. So there are resources in the city. There are uh, and we had them coming along to our, you know, we're involved with our, our public engagement process. People who through pure chance, have ended up with three quarters of a million quids worth of house. Um, you know, uh, p- 
people who are in their 50s or 60s or, or beyond who have brought up kids, kids have now gone, they're rattling around in a, a house which is fundamentally unsuited for them but don't want to move because there's nowhere they would want to move that would be better. So the notion came out of that about how do you, yeah, we, we, we talked about how do you create a community made through exchange? How do you bring people into um, a place like York Central where they bring resources with them in terms of capital, in terms of time, in terms of experience of life and use that as a transactional thing with other people who, who lack capital, who lack, you know, lack opportunity to create a place which then works for everybody. How do you create um, the opportunity for people to come in to live somewhere which is is easy to look after and comfortable and central to the city, but then you know make sure that some of that investment goes to make sure that the neighbourhood is a vibrant one, that the street is a safe street, that there are businesses locally which thrive, that there are students and young people living locally who can you know help with the shopping, who can make sure that the place is, is somewhere where they know their neighbours and it feels like a safe place to be. So it's really addressing this issue about how do you deal with inequality and shuffle the, 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 the resources around, create some kind of circular economy where it benefits everybody. Excellent. And you've been using the ideas of um, Gwynnon and, and Neil, um, who, who wrote a book about the case for community wealth be building, and you've been kind of putting those ideas into, into, into practice. Yeah, I'm really interested in the community wealth building debate, which obviously has a main reference point in the UK of Preston, but has a longer history in the States. Um, I guess one of the challenges that we've been talking to Martin O'Neill about yeah. is the fact that a lot of the conventional ways of thinking about community wealth building, especially in the context of the Preston model, relies on public organisations as anchor institutions who use procurement to create supply chains that then support local business and keep wealth local. And we were, would be absolutely delighted if the new administration within the City of York Council or some of the big public sector bodies that are going to be on York Central, not least the National Railway Museum and the Government Hub, explored that Preston model type of community wealth building. But we're also very aware that they may not. And we're also really keen that we don't rely on that kind of way of kicking off a community wealth building model for York Central. And in the way that Phil's talked about, one of the resources that perhaps York has at its, its disposal that other cities might not is a population of people who have capital and might be interested in community investment vehicles like community share issues or community bonds. And that there also might be a way of bringing capital into the scheme through people moving in and living there, but with a high level of equity that enables money to be circulated around the design and also the use of commercial space as well within the scheme in order to create income. So in a way, we're trying to take the ethos of community wealth building and looking at it from a community-led perspective, not one that re is reliant on public institutions creating procurement chains. Okay, and how would you get buy-in um, for some of the culture and values of, of Yoko, which you've just just discussed from from these organisations and, and these people, how would you how would you see yourselves getting buy-in? Do you think? I think I mean there are that 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 works at various levels, doesn't it? So the point of view of, of how do you get you know the the, the person the couple on the out the, in the outskirts of York who want we want to move into the city and um, and bring money with them, that's how do you work with them to create the kind of community they want to live in? And we're starting with a clean sheet of paper. This is a completely new neighbourhood that's being built. So there has to be a way of setting up the initial structures which enable those kind of conversations to happen. 
I think with some of the the bigger stakeholders, though, those kind of anchor institutions that Helen talked about, um, yeah, we have two universities in the city. We're sat in one of them now. You know, we so the conventional way of thinking is, well, yeah, what about if you bought your paper clips more locally? But I think what we're talking about is something very different to that. It's saying, how do we enable your graduate students to stay in the city and develop businesses which then create local wealth and employ local mm. people? How do you use your ability to work with knowledge as a tool which enables economic activity to work within York Central in a distributed, democratic way which brings benefit? Yeah, how do you, as a university, or how does the University of York think about, rather than plonking a glitzy building on York Central and saying, we've done a business incubator on York Central, how do we think about you having a broader impact so that you, the knowledge, the skills, the students that you have, create economic wealth there and create a place which other people want to be part mm, of absolutely mm. um i was just just also i'm interested in finding out a bit more about how this kind of idea of um a local economy a local democratic economy you could probably probably say with with york central with the ideas that you're you're proposing would work with the kind of neoliberal capitalist um economic structures but also cultural structures in 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 the city how would it kind of connect with those types of of, of structures and and their values as well one of the things i've been really inspired by engaging with other groups who have been doing this and we had an event um a couple of weeks ago called don't extract redistribute how to co-own your local economy which really gave us a chance to hear in quite a lot of depth from different organisations across the country who have been doing this in quite different circumstances and with slightly different intentions in some ways, but nevertheless really um, pragmatic, practical interventions. And I think that's the kind of key thing for me, is that what we're seeking to do is in less than ideal circumstances. So none of us would write uh, you know, on a blank sheet of paper an economic system that is so unequal, which is actually, in the case of ownership of York's economy, not even within the city. If you look at the, some of the kind of land ownership questions and the, in the property ownership questions in the city centre. So inevitably, what we're not doing is creating, we're not starting from a point of a perfect utopia. What we're doing is working in complex, entrenched circumstances and trying to do things that loosen up those structures in some way that creates transformation. I think that's the key thing for me. Um, I think we're often trained in a kind of um, humanities or social science undergraduate degree context to think in highly critical terms. And those modes of thinking can be incredibly powerful. But they can also be a little bit disabling in terms of agency. Like if all you see is a very fixed structure of neoliberalism, then it's very difficult to know what you can do that will make any difference at all. And I think part of what we're seeking to do, along with a movement across the country and the world, is say that it does matter what you do. And actually small and growing interventions can really be transformatory, not least because they create different economic models locally in small ways initially, but they actually create different kind of conceptual and emotional arcs that kind of also change the potential for the future. One of the projects who we involved in the event a couple of weeks back was a Coin Street um, built, um, cooperative in, in London on the south bank of the Thames. Coin Street's been running 40 years now, and it's um, now it started off as a kind of very kind of wonderfully lefty kind of banner-carrying kind of um, you know, community uh, project, and is now 40 years later being very kind of economically savvy 
in terms of finding ways of shuffling money around. So they they um, own and run quite a few commercial premises. The income from those commercial premises, which accounts for about 70% of their income, goes to fund housing, goes to fund um, community activities, goes to fund facilities on the site for the people that live there and live around it. It's an absolute model of redistributive economy, which is, as I say, is thriving where their ideas are becoming, in, in many ways, bolder and bolder as they go along. And and where it's kind of proof positive that this approach to you know how you do design a redistributive economy, if you're bold enough about it, work at it, yeah, in a um, carefully thought through way, it works. So it's how do you do revolutionary stuff, but kind of acknowledging you're working within a, a, the kind of economy you describe. I think often redistribution, you're it's assuming there's a big state solution to that. Like we have to get a government that's in a position where they are you know, interested in and enabled by the electorate to redistribute. And I suppose what we're interested in is how can we do local redistribution through economic design? Mm. And I think that leads quite nicely into a conversation about um, community power, community ownership and community decision making. It'd be quite interesting to hear about how the community will have ownership over the decisions made at at, at York Central um, with your vision in the Yoko community plan who will be making the decisions and what will the role of the expert be there's i'll, I'll, I'll just kick off with a kind of a, a bit of background so much of the work that helen and i've been doing over the last few years is you've been around um engagement but it's broadly about citizenship it's about how do you remake a, a city where people the people who live there um work on the basis that they don't simply act yeah you know, they're not simply residents who once every four years vote in an election as citizens, you take an active role in what goes on in the city and you become part of it. And the structures that are set up to enable that happen have to make that a process which is a lot more fun than going along to god-awful meetings. So it's kind of, how do you set up local democracy in ways which engage with people, which engage with people of all ages, um, and uh, enable them to do the stuff that living in cities should require us to do, to negotiate, to listen, to occasionally make mistakes and learn from them, to say sorry and to not need to always, those kind of things. And did you have any thoughts on community influence over the decisions at at York Central, Helen, at all? Well, I I guess um, we remain actively optimistic about the ways in which Yoko can being part of the ongoing conversation about the future of the site. We certainly are in touch with all of the major stakeholders, talking to them in a variety of different ways, both formally through the strategic board that's chaired by Make It York and um, through having really positive conversations with people, for example, in Homes England who have particular policy briefs, like around self-commissioned and and custom-led and community housing. So I think there are multiple ways in which... um, we can ensure that there is, um, you know, a community-led voice in that conversation. Um, and I think one of the things we know we need to understand better in our ideas is how a governance model could work for the whole of the site that has a co-element to it. Like, what is a co-governance model mm-hmm. for York Central that recognises the scale and um, inevitable influence of some of the large organisations, but also enables a power levelling process with community groups of different kinds which would include the co neighbourhood in our imaginary but also many other groups who will want to be part of shaping what happens there. 
And at what stage are we at with the de de decisions around the de developer and um, what is their kind of thoughts on on the community kind of influence discussions we're just having? We are currently in the situation where um, the uh, Homes England, as the kind of lead partner within the All Central Partnership, have been whittling down um, a short list of potential master developers. So the master developer will be appointed to broadly do the entire development um, to, to brief which uh, Homes England uh, provide them with. So they're down to two. Um, we've been speaking to both of them. We are actually off for a meeting in a pub with one of them after this very podcast. I can't tell you who. Um, so it's been, you know, we, we are being as fast on our feet as we possibly can in trying to make sure that we have conversations. And the conversations are very much around the, the notions of reality. So, you know, incoming um, developers will have to, at some point, work to do uh, custom-built, custom you know, community-led housing on the site. We know it's going to have to be fairly high density. It's not simply a case of flogging off some plots to self-builders. And in th if that's going to be the case, then what would make that easier for them is having some locally rooted body which brings that project together and makes it happen. And that's what we're aiming to try and do. So we're trying to have conversations which, uh, which you know, make engaging with the community the sensible thing to do. Okay. That's very interesting. I just wanted to go back to affordable housing, which you've you've mentioned you've touched on and we live in a, a very expensive and as you mentioned very unequal um type of of of, of city um and i just wanted to understand a bit more from your perspectives how this project will really benefit the poorest people in york and really tackle york's inequalities will it actually be affordable housing which the most deprived parts of society can afford yes <laughs> you want more than that, don't you? Right. Um, there, are, there are good examples where, where um, projects have been set up so that they enable um, different sorts of people to come into the project and therefore enable others to happen. So there's a project called Chaco over in Leeds in Chapel Town, uh, which is a, uh, a co-owned housing scheme has been set up on a way that um, while people can ultimately they people buy shares in the ownership and ultimately you could have up to almost 100% ownership or you can come in having virtually no ownership if you have no capital so the more people that come into the scheme who bring capital with them the more they can allow people in who don't or they can look at how they can subsidize rents through that that process to make it as affordable as possible so I think what we're trying to do with um, the kind of housing we'd like to see on the site we you know the the um, Outline planning consent requires there to be a proportion of, of social rented housing within it, affordable housing within it. What we're trying to do is to say how can we work with that, but also how can we work on the margins of that. There are many people in York who are on fairly reasonable incomes but are still un unable to live in the city and are now shifting out to Selby or Moulton or wherever. And your space as a local housing, uh, co uh, the co-housing project has been trying for years to look at how do you work to try and shuffle money around to enable you to, 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 to you know, broaden access to housing within the city. Mm. So you know, they're not necessarily trying to do social rented housing, but they're trying to do something for which there is still a need within the city. And it's about accepting that the affordability is not just a problem for the very poorest in our society, but it's a problem for a whole range of people. And that doing that kind of housing starts to um, avoid the kind of ghettoing 
of, of, of cities that you get, you know, where you end up with you know, a block of uh, upmarket apartments and a social rented chunk of it and a poor door that gets you to that bit. Um, you know, what we want to try and do is um, housing which is really mixed in terms of the kind of community that lives there, where everyone is signed up to that and is part of that and where it works for everybody. Mm. I think it does go to what we as a community-led group can do as well. So there's something here about potential and capacity and sort of legitimacy and actually what a community-led group can do and the kind of purview and approach is different from what a council could do or a government could do and it actually what we're thinking is that if a if a if there was a commitment to doing more social housing we would be very supportive and committed to that and we can take the affordance of the five percent and do something different in the way that phil's talked about and in an ideal scenario they could be very complementary and it would be using the political capacities both of a community-led contribution and a state-led contribution in a productive way. So I guess it's just recognising that difference between what a community-led group can do absolutely. and what a council yeah. or a government can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. One of my favourite cities for, to look at in terms of housing is Vienna. If you look at Vienna, incredible social housing, you know, very thoroughly built up over decades by you know, Red Vienna, a thoroughly kind of left-wing um, local authority. And yet the city does huge quantities of community-led housing. There are literally books written on you know, the, the schemes that get done out there because there's so much going on. And they don't do that just because they're bored. You know, they do that because they recognise that community-led projects have a value in terms of connecting with the local communities. They effectively kind of provide the kind of the you know the soap that gets between the kind of different components that brings brings everything together. You can do you know there are schemes there which are community-led schemes which involve homes for people who who are, who are on reasonable incomes with refugee accommodation, working with you know specific marginalised groups like single mothers within communities who need support. All of that kind of stuff acts as um, the connecting threads within within a community and allows you to create communities which work together and is all of this trying to to put value um to the word community over over profit and within within economies there's one way of thinking about um placemaking which is the traditional way developers think about it which is it's kind of creating a sort of skeleton of buildings and places and then a place is created. But I think we all know that that places are really made by people that live there, that care about it, that hang out there, that <laughs> that make music there, that grow things there, um, that set up businesses there, that have parties there, that, you know, argue there. It's not like not, not bucolic, you know, it's like it just live there in all of the richness of human life. And actually that's the value that often is getting extracted when there's, you know, buy-to-let or holiday-lets or big chain businesses that aren't in the city. They're almost taking the value that we all create and extracting that profit. Part of what we want to do is integrate all of that, what might be seen as kind of fuzzy, lived stuff, but actually it's also the stuff of economy, if you think about economy and the way we're thinking about it. Mm, absolutely. 
I just wanted to ask a bit more about we've we've touched on the kind of social justices of of of, of the site just then. I just wanted to kind of shift the conversation now towards ecological justice and thinking about we talked about how humans are, are, are represented and have influence um, on on this on this on this site and how communities have ownership over some of the decisions at York Central. I just wanted to know a bit more about how non-humans are, are represented. Bruno Latour, um, the great anthropologist, um, proposes the emergence of a, a, co- a collective democratic assembly um, in which humans and non-humans are a, are a community. They come, to, come together. Um, so therefore, have, have organisations which represent non-human actors been, been consulted? Have we given the uh, the ecologist a voice are we going to do that in the future that's such an interesting question i think one of the challenges with the latorian idea of assembly is how do you assemble like how do you think about the relationship between the non-human and the human in a democratic context when democracy has been so predicated on the ideas of voice and dialogue and deliberation so i guess one of the things we've always done in our engagement processes is also do a lot of walking and a lot of being in place, being attentive to place, noticing place, uh, listening to place, and being with people who have an attunement to those local environments. Mm. I mean, we've done midnight walks with people who knew about the otter activity in the foss in the past, for example, but actually just this weekend, we spent a walk with Jai uh, Sando from Wild Streets, where through a very like a very beautiful, quiet, slow engagement with the Lehman Road area, we basically were given the opportunity to notice figs, for example, on a tree in a relatively suburban estate, all the way through to really notice the difference of type of bird song when you walked into a, a more rewilded area, or to you know, recall memories of people talking about deer sightings within the area, or to notice, um, you know, how some of the um, some of the infrastructure that's going in is is interacting with Millennium Green, for example. So I think there's something in what you're saying about what are the methods we can use to change human relations with non-humans in a way that they can start to have different sorts of power and presence within democratic conversations. Mm-hmm. Jai talked about um, the different models that we use for thinking about uh, living things and landscape in the rural setting and in the urban setting. And the fact that in the urban setting, we assume that everything is going to be entirely fixed. You design it, tree there, planting there, curb there, hard stuff there. Um, whereas in the rural setting, we think about it as being entirely dynamic. You know, a field may have one thing in one year or another, but it'd be completely different. Woodland might grow or shrink. And that we need to start applying that kind of rural uh, view of, of, of landscape and living things within the city, that we need to allow space for dynamic stuff to happen, for you know, um, populations to change and shift, for planting patterns to change and shift, for kind of, you know, climax vegetation to happen and move on. So it's it's really how we how we do that. I mean, yes, during the you know the public engagement process, you know, we talked with people like um, 
uh, Edible York. We talk to people involved with ecology, involved with York Environment Forum. Um, but I think we need to, ultimately, we're, be, we're at an interesting time, aren't we, where we're starting to kind of think more about what sustainability actually is. And so the nature of um, a sustainable community becomes a much richer thing than simply saying, well, all the houses of the EPCA or whatever else. It's kind of starting to look much more holistically at um, you know, the, the relationship between buildings, spaces, nature and people, um, and to try and create... Um, a framework which enables that relationship to develop over time. Okay. And is that a conversation you will be having with the with the developers? Do you think around? We're um, already having it. Yes, I mean, we, we, on nature. Yeah, and, and I mean there 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 is an interesting conversation with one of the nameless developers where you know they they reported on uh, a scheme they had done where um, there was some open space uh, central to the scheme. They had deliberately left a load of fallen trees there to try and create. Um, a kind of habitat for uh, for whatever wildlife there was around. And they looked after it carefully for the six-month period that they had to kind of take responsibility on completion of the scheme. And then at the end of that, they handed over to the council, and the first thing they discovered was the council had moved onto the site, cleared the trees away, and seeded the grass so they could mow it more easily. So it's kind of, you know, there, there are developers out there who are ahead of the game in thinking about those, those issues, um, and we need to kind of continue those conversations and try and work with them. And you mentioned sure the that. green and, and wild spaces, and I mentioned in the, in the vision about... Mm about the work the, the bird song as, as 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 well but then we're also talking about you know housing and 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 having lots of house we need more housing yeah. in, in in york there is demand for housing so how do you see the two kind of coinciding and, and working together i think well the, the the key question we need to ask as part of the design process is what are our outdoor spaces for if, as traditionally has been the case, they are for moving cars around and for parking cars and for segregating people and cars, then we've got a problem. It leaves very little space for anything else. If we think of outdoor space as being predominantly about creating external environment which people want to be in and want to use, then that gives us a completely different range of options. And so thinking about how we make that fundamental shift, and it's been done elsewhere, it's been done on mainland Europe, so that we shift cars out of it, we can then create spaces which are green, which are wild, which are um, far more pleasant places for humans to be, but also far richer places for other species to be. Um, way back in the early stages of the, the discussions on this, um, the former uh, project director for the, the, the project commented he would love to see um, York Central effectively being like woodland, which we then built houses within rather than it being a housing design scheme that we then peppered a few trees around. And I think that's a nice vision to start with. That would be a wonderful vision <laughs> and amazing. Um, I was just wanted to move on to talk about um, um, the role, the relationship between York St. John and, and, and Yoko and, and York Central, um, because as a, as a university, we're excited in, in collaborating with, with York Central in the future and looking at different ways and dipper, different opportunities for for collaboration, especially as as the vision for York Central develops and, and, and changes over the next 20, 30 years, that type of framework. That kind of time scale, yeah. 
Um, so and and perhaps even exploring how how York St John could potentially be an anchor institution if if there is a is a role um, for that within within the community plan. Um, so I know we've been involved at York St John. Um, our interior design students. Um, involved in the proposed economic incubator scheme um, for for the site, and there's also the proposal of a learning hub, cultural and learning hub within within the site. So it'd just be great to hear a bit more about the the potential involvement for for York St John, um, and if if it's we could have a space within within York Central. Yeah, well, we've certainly I've been involved in working with your interior design students. Have now done, I think, three years have done projects Excellent. on different different buildings Excellent. on the site and looking at them, not just in terms of the kind of the, the narrow interior design, but also thinking about how uh, how use and activity kind of steers you know, what a building building needs to be. We've also worked with geography students to look at questions of cities and regeneration, haven't we? So mm. we do. Um, have done a walk a number of years mm. now with geography students so there's already those kind of exciting connections with students where we're exploring some of the core ideas within what Yoko is doing. Mm. I think it is really kind of how we broaden I mean we're engaging in and will be continuing to engage in a very complex subtle design process over the, the coming years about how we design the economic and governance structures and it would be fabulous to think of ways of working with you and your students um, to bring their creativity and, uh, uh, and expertise to bear on those kind of questions. I think within our community plan, we've always really wanted to see this as a place where ideas, knowledge, obviously money as well as exchange, you know, we've got that kind of rich sense of what exchange might be within York Central. So the idea of working with um, our educational institutions as part of that would be extremely exciting long term. Short term, there is that way in which we're seeing Yoko as an action research initiative. Like, we don't know exactly what this Coa neighbourhood will be like. We haven't bottomed out entirely how the economic model will work. We still don't know how a co-governance model might work for the neighbourhood, but also for the whole site. So we're really keen on research collaborations that will help us draw in different perspectives and expertise to help us in collaboration with people who know and care about the place to shape those things. So I think there's also a very strong kind of research potential collaboration as well. And do you have other uh, researchers on, on the, the Yoko uh, directorate at the, at the moment? Is that? Well, I think we sort of see what we're doing as research that all of us are part of and see research yeah. in a very open and democratic way as being about asking questions and trying to work out how to address them, how, yeah. to, how to make change happen through experimentation. So... A lot of what we do, whether it's kind of at an event level or through, you know, figuring out this vision for the community plan. In effect, it's an open research process where we're asking questions, we're exploring what different people might think about those questions. As we do that, the questions change. We're trying practical ways of, of opening up potential that we couldn't see if we hadn't done something. So it's that kind of action research cycle of like, you know, of a planning, doing, observing and reflecting in an ongoing cycle that we do. And I think that's a very much always been an extra institutional research practice, one that many people use without conceiving it in those terms within their everyday lives. And so we sort of see it very much as a participatory and open knowledge gaining process. Sure. And that's very much at the heart of what Yoko is. 
And at, at York St John University, we obviously work with a range of community partners from our church community to the NHS to mental health institutions. And hopefully we could bring some of those partnerships to to the table as 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 as, as well, which would be. Yeah which would be fantastic. And also, I guess in terms of students and, 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 and staff, I'm sure there would be students and, and staff interested in, in researching some of these social inequalities. Obviously, we have the Institute um, for Social Justice at York St. John University researching into sustainability of, of the development, um, those type of, of, of subjects. There will be staff and students who would potentially be interested in, in those themes. We're, we're very aware that um, what we're talking about in terms of York Central reflects on the city as a whole. We're kind of very keen to try and make sure that the kind of big ideas that need talking through get talked through and get explored and that we use this not just simply as an opportunity to bang a load of buildings onto York Central, which works, but to ask questions about um, the kind of neighbourhoods which work the kind of structures which work, and the kind of processes, redistributed processes which work for the city as a whole. So, you know, how can we learn uh, from doing a 15-minute sustainable neighbourhood on York Central to think about how we might create more sustainable neighbourhoods within existing communities? So, you know, we look at those areas which are kind of absolutely kind of monoculture housing. How do we put new uses back into those communities to make them more sustainable? And so having the capacity to look at not just the central kind of direction of travel but to look at the interesting stuff that comes out of it would be really great and i think working with the you know the the, the um our education bodies within the city would be a fabulous thing to be able to fuel that excellent and we can hopefully take this forward with an event on the the 15th of, of september where we we have have more discussions and, and more conversations about this so thank you um just going to going to start to to wrap up today's podcast it's been very so insightful and, and very interesting so thanks so much for your time helen and 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 phil um we are a city which sometimes finds change quite difficult it sometimes finds diversity quite quite difficult and you could say perhaps lacks the innovation of say manchester and and, and Leeds. Um, I was just wondering how the project will bring diversity and innovation to to a city which is sometimes averse to to to, to change. Possibly, I don't, just your thoughts around that would be would be very very good. I guess one of the things we've always said is that we want to create creative means by which we can have a conversation about the future of York. This is long before we even did my Castle Gateway public engagement process and recognising that that is a process that needs to be radically democratised, like there needs to be many different voices involved in that conversation and in order for it to be really democratised needs to not just be a conversation, it needs to be an enablement of action and activity across the city as well. I think if you look across York now, actually, there is enormous amounts of really fantastic innovation happening, often at a local level, often in very small or voluntary or just activist contexts, um, you know, from York Community Energy, for example, um, to um, the Groves 
um, heritage project that's been happening very close to where we are now. Spark. We is, are the as well. we are the Grove Spark. I mean, these are all just to name three examples of which we could name 30, 40 just you know immediately. In a way, the key issue for the city is how we connect and we learn from each other as we do this work. How we connect beyond to be able to draw in fantastic work from other places and rework that for this particular local context. I think the challenge is it's not always very visible at from a distance. Like from the perspective of our in, large institutions, I'm not sure this enormous activity and innovation and, and passion and enthusiasm is that palpable. So there is maybe a disconnect there. And I think we've always been keen to try and, you know, really amplify that in any chance we have to be in those kind of rooms and those kinds of conversations. So I think one of the things we've often played around with in moving from engagement as being a marginal practice to local democracy to trying to think in a systemic way about democratic processes so to use some of that literature that exists in the politics context of deliberative or democratic systems and so to see that actually community-based action you know the kinds of engagement process we were involved in um the kinds of decisions that are made formally within a council context the actions that large public institutions take as well as the activity that local businesses generate are all part of what makes a place. And at the moment, the connections between those different entities are often fractured, leading to unintended consequences that do cause system failure in lots of ways, not least around the housing issue that we've been talking about. So one of the things we have always been interested to do is think in more systemic ways about how the connection points between those different types of activities could be enlivened in a way that actually creates a transformative democratic system that would in enable the kind of whole system change we need to deal with the emergencies that we're facing around climate and around economic inequality. So I guess that's, yeah, what we might say to that based yeah, on the work we've been doing. There's, I think you're right, in, in terms of the scale of organisations who are involved. You know, we have a city where there are some big players and they're cruising around, often doing good things, but where this kind of innovative stuff done by smaller organisations that you mentioned kind of scurries around between them trying to do good things. And we could do with joining that whole thing up better. And I think that is about how you create those vertical connections between really good um, innovative work that's going on and the bigger players and the opportunities that they have to, to kind of really make the scale at, you know, change at scale. Mm. Okay. Um, and do you think it's York City Council's job to improve some of those relationships which you've been you've been talking about would it be their their role you know they have working groups around sustainability there's a york sustainability group there's a, a climate mitigation adaptation working group within within york council yeah i think the council of course has a crucial role here it's the body we elect um we you know there is democratic accountability we all live in wards where there are ward councillors who are really engaged in the best cases on the ground. They certainly are in Holgate. Um, so I think there is lots of potential for the council to grasp that role. We've often had really fantastic conversations with local area coordinate coordination team and what they've been doing. Um, I think seeing how that kind of community-based, asset-based community development work, for example, that the council's doing fantastic work in relates to this democratic system question is i think something that we've, we've always been really interested to, to sort of work on and to think about yeah i mean we, we i think mentioned earlier about yeah there's only a certain 
sort of person who wants to turn up at an evening meeting and spend two hours talking about something. But there are many more people out there who would be prepared to get engaged if it's done in ways which are more engaging. So one of the things that we did, um, I'm involved with York Environment Forum last year when we ran York Environment Week, we tried to do events which were participative and engaging, but where people could then talk about, discuss and develop ideas around the kind of ideas that you're talking around there. And so I think it's maybe how we do that, you know, the, having, you know, kind of focus groups or strategy groups or whatever always slightly makes my heart sink because I kind of feel there's another bunch of people who are thoroughly invested, locked in a room, coming up with cr cracking ideas, which they're going to struggle to get out there. So it's how do we create a kind of richer environment of discourse out there where, again, going back to this kind of thing about what is citizenship, where citizenship involves being engaged with that kind of stuff rather than simply waiting for a leaflet to plot through your door telling you the council are going to do it. We also need democracy that's not only about language and about words mm. and about dialogue and deliberation because that massively favours a certain group of people over another group of people. And I think you can see people are, are making meaningful like senses of what the city is through what they're doing across the city mm. right now, you know, mm. whether it's around food exchanges or whether it's around litter picking or whether it's around you know, growing or whether it's around, you know, doing kids' activities after school. So in a way, if you start to be attentive to what people are putting their energy and activity in, they are also saying something about what they want the city to be. So I think part of what thinking in a more systemic way about democracy also needs to take really close attention to what people are saying without saying it, without requiring them to say it, give it words, because that is basically massively privileging people who are comfortable with words, who don't mind putting their hand up in meetings, who want to write long letters to the, the press or to their councillor, who want to fill in consultation documents or take part in inquiries, you know, planning inquiries. And if we only think of democracy as in those terms, it will always be an exclusionary democracy. That's so, so interesting. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one, I've got two, two, two final questions um, as we as we wrap up. Um, what is the future for Yoko and and the community plan? Where where are we going next? You said you're meeting the developers in a in a pub today, but where are we going next? And I think th you know we're talking about a twenty thirty year time span. How does how does it evolve? How does it change? How is it dynamic with that with that? Um, framework. I, I wish I knew, obviously, but uh, I think you know, going forward with with glad heart and hope, you know, you kind of. Uh, I, I think we're going to. It's we are in an interesting situation where the master plan and therefore the outline consent for the site was made about um, four years ago, and since that time there have been major changes in the city. It's declared a climate emergency. It's said it's going to be zero carbon by 2030. It's passed various other kind of specific policies, which show quite considerable shifts, which the master plan and outline planning consent to some extent now lag behind. So it could well be that there will be a revisiting of the outline consent and some thinking about how we want it to change going forward. And that's certainly been something that's cropped up in conversations with the developers and with, with uh, Homes England. So I think we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I think the key to that working is going to be that the largest number of uh, of people within the city are in some way involved with that conversation and that's not through receiving a questionnaire with a load of tick boxes and to tick but it's through getting involved with stuff and so one of the things we would love Yoko to be able to do is to engage people 
bring them on board to those kind of conversations and somehow try and do what we've done along the way, which is to try and steward a real kind of public sphere within which discussion, ideas and potential directions are, are, are all kind of active components. And where we admit that we don't have all the answers right now, but we want to have a conversation which heads, heads forwards and uh, involves people. Thank you. If anyone's, if, if our listeners are interested in reading up in some of the ideas and, and themes, and I know we've covered a wide range of ideas in today's podcast, um, do you have any suggestions for any any literature for our listeners? I, me- I know I mentioned the uh, Gwynnon and O'Neill, um, the case for community wealth building book, uh, perhaps some of the deliberative democracy um, literature as, 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 as well. I don't know if, if you have any recommendations, Helen and, and Phil. On um, local economy, I find um, Gibson Graham's Take Back the Economy book incredibly inspiring. So it really shows how we often think about the economy as being this thing that we can't control, but actually we're all part of it. We're making it all the time. So the choices we make matter in terms of um, making the transformations we've been talking about. Um, I mean, the democratic system and deliberative system debates are associated with people like Jay Mansbridge um, and Acton Fung and Michael Saywood um, from a political theory perspective. Um, but we've also been drawing on a wide range of other sort of ideas, I guess, we've encountered in different contexts. Yeah, I'll come at you. We've given, given I'm an architect, I'll come at you with something which is building-related. There's a fabulous book out there called Soft City by David Sim, who um, used to work with Jan Gale's office, who've done all sorts of fantastic stuff around thinking about cities. And Soft City talks about how we create um, neighbourhoods which allow for the kind of full variety of human life and it's just a very different way of thinking about things that that, the city building to the way we normally go about it which puts at its heart what people do and want to be able to do rather than simply um yeah creating a world-class environment with lovely paving and uh, assuming that all yeah good stuff will happen Thank you so much for coming in and for the insightful conversations today. It's been thoroughly interesting um, listening to your approach of putting community at the very heart of, of, of York Central. I think at York St. John, we can learn from some of the ideas, you know, around 15 minute neighbourhoods. I think universities can learn from, from, from that about community ownership, about listening to to, to wider voices. I think universities, like I say, York St. John, can take those learnings forward. And it's also been really interesting to, to think about how you can, you're inspiring others to, to shift their thinking about York, York Central as, as, as well with these kind of different creative types of alternative futures that you're, you're proposing with, with the Yoko community community plan and it's going to most certainly be a really interesting future for the city of, of York and that particular area and how it connects with with other areas as, as with 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 discussed especially if if the project is to tash, tackle the social inequalities of of the city and aim to ultimately achieve social and ecological justice I'll just finish with the um the final um paragraph of the Yoko community plan Another York Central is possible, a York Central of forever affordable housing, startup spaces for local business, community learning, growing and allotments, a place of trees and birdsong and of all play for all ages. <laughs>